Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com. Breaking through the silence With glory in the highest The hope of our creation Resting in this mother's arms
So I'll be home for Christmas, home for the holidays. There's no place like home. That one's Wizard of Oz, but we'll count it. Home. What does home mean to you? How do you define home? Is home a a building? Is home a place? I used to think that was true especially around this time of year, because whenever I would think about Christmas and being home for Christmas, there, was, there, there were all kinds of specific places I would think of. During my childhood and all the way through teen years and even after that, home for Christmas meant being in my home church for Christmas Eve. And Christmas Eve, there would be candlelight in the windows and singing both uh, soloists and congregational. Then there would be this moment as the closing prayer was prayed that we would all leave quietly out of respect and reverence for the gift that we'd been given. But then the night would turn as we would head to my parents' house for our Christmas Eve celebration, which was kind of filled up with lots of family and lots of noise and lots of laughter and a dining room table that was full of food. And then we would start handing gifts to one another and we'd open gifts and say thank you and that would lead to Christmas morning that happened at my parents' house. And Christmas morning typically meant uh, being there in front of the tree and my dad sitting in his chair barely awake. And my mom would go and pull presents out from other rooms that weren't under the tree. I, I, don't, I never understood whether she forgot that there were presents that were supposed to be under the tree or whether for her it was some type of an excitement lift in the process. I, I never could figure that out. Christmas Day often had us going off to a movie theater to watch a movie, maybe being at home and grilling out steaks on the grill because, it, you know, Christmas in Florida. Kind of like yesterday, as a matter of fact. But that was Christmas. And Christmas was all about that place. And Christmas was all about those moments. And home felt like a place. But home's not a place. Home is people. And home is where we find belonging It's where we find safety. It's where we find love and acceptance. Home is relationships. And sometimes home is even bigger and broader than all of that. See, two different places can be home for two entirely different people, right? So it can't be about a place. And deep down inside of every single person, there is this yearning, there is this deep down desire, this want to be in a place or be with a people where we are fully known 
No secrets. No disguises. Where we are fully loved. Where we are fully accepted. Where we can fully flourish in every possible way to be exactly who we were created to be. Where there is acceptance and security and love and safety and acceptance and belonging. And the reason that every human being longs for a place like that is that we were actually created to live in a place like that. See, if you go all the way back to our story, all the way back to the beginning of the Bible and back to Genesis, it tells us that God created a garden, that God created a paradise. And right in the center of that paradise, God placed Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve had everything that they could ever possibly want in paradise. This is where life flourished for them, physically and spiritually and socially. There was no sin in paradise. There was no sickness in paradise. There was no death in paradise. And at the center of this perfect paradise place was an intimate, heartfelt, wide open relationship with God. And that was home. That was what we were all created for. But you know the story. Adam and Eve started thinking through how they wanted a little bit of independence from God. They started to kind of think through how they wanted to live life their own way and live life by their own rules. And they got exactly what they asked for. And living the way that they thought they wanted to live led to the departure and the loss of home. And ever since then, people have been trying to get back home. Ever since then, people have been trying to get back to that safety and that security and that openness and that acceptance and that belonging. God went to Abraham. He said to Abraham, look, I know you have a home, but I want you to leave the home that you're in, and I want you to go to a new home that I'm going to give to you. And, and I want you to go there, and you're going to have a family, and it's going to be a big family, and they are going to be called my people and I will care for them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people, and they will find a sense of home in me. God later went to a man named Moses, and he said to Moses, Moses, my people are suffering as slaves in Egypt, and I want you to deliver them out of the grips of Pharaoh, and I want to lead you and my people to the promised land to a land flowing with milk and honey, a land that you will be able to call your new home. They got as far as the edge of that promised land and God had to come to Joshua and say to Joshua, don't be afraid, be courageous for I'm giving you 
a brand new home. And then a lot of time goes by through the Old Testament before we ever get to the New Testament and before we ever get to a manger in Bethlehem. By then there had been empires rise and fall and the people of God were still in their place, but it didn't feel like home anymore. They felt like foreigners, they felt like exiles. Now it was all under Roman rule, now it was a new king, a Caesar, but they know that's not their true home. And they are longing and they are waiting and they are begging and holding out hope that there's a Messiah that's going to come who's going to restore that sense of home, who's gonna take them back home. Or at least that sense of home. Home and all those emotions the ones that some of us think about at Christmas, it has this wonderful effect and it is a word, home, that is still extremely powerful today. I mean, even if you've never experienced that storybook version of home and even if your home doesn't really match up with that, it's still the home that you want. It's the home that you're longing for, which is why Christmas means so much to us. Because at Christmas, home makes an appearance. And at Christmas, God made his home with us. At Christmas, we celebrate that Christ was born into our world, into our place. At Christmas, God sent his son to dwell among us. We've mentioned before that the Gospel of John doesn't have a big narrative about the Christmas story. In fact, all of the details of the manger and the trip to Bethlehem and the shepherds and the, the, the Magi and all those details, they're wrapped up in Matthew and Luke. But John sums it all up in just one verse. It's John chapter 1, verse 14. But here's how the message translation tells us about Christmas. It says, the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's Christmas. That's the feeling, that's the conclusion, that's the story that we celebrated yesterday. So what happens from here? Christmas is the story of Jesus coming and dwelling among, among us, Jesus coming in and living in our neighborhood, but what happens from here? What happens when God moves into the neighborhood? What happens when it's not just that he moved onto our planet, but he moves into our heart? Well, the apostle Peter, looking back on all the things that transpired long after Jesus was not only grown and, and died on a cross and rose again, but, but was gone from the planet, Peter, looking back on all of it, recognized that there is a correlation between the journey of Jesus and our journey that we are on. And if you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to turn there. If you want to use your phone or your tablet or, or you've got a Bible that you, you want to use, I'm going to ask that you would turn to this passage, and it's going to seem like a strange one here so close to Christmas. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 4. Not a very Christmassy passage, it seems, 
But I think what Peter is unpacking for us is the result of Christmas. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, is Peter writing to the church. And he, he's not just writing to one specific church, though he is, he's writing to any church who would read this letter, and that includes us. So here's what Peter says. As you come to him, that's Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. You, us, we are being built into a spiritual house, a home. See, Peter is writing to a community of people that feel like they are living a long, long way away from home. And what they are feeling and kind of the, the drop-off that they are feeling in life is more than just the, the, you know, the Christmas hangover. It's more than just that letdown after Christmas Day. This is a community of people, the church that Peter is writing to who who are experiencing persecution and are suffering and are experiencing oppression from every single angle because of what they believe and because they continue to gather together. Life is hard for them, but Peter says, you know what? God is with you. God is in your midst. And you are right now being built together as a spiritual home, as a collective temple where God dwells. And it has nothing to do with the place that you're in, and it has nothing to do with the building that you gather in. You, as a people, as a body of believers, are being built together into a radical community because of Jesus. Every single brick, every stone, that's each of us, is bearing the weight of one another. Every brick, every stone is important. They are all interconnected. They are all interdependent in this radical community that God has built because Jesus came into the neighborhood. See, that there's two ways that our world likes to look at things, that, that there can be relationships that are dependent relationships, and on the extreme of the de- dependent relationships, you have people who can't move and can't function and can't really even exist without another. And then there's the independent relationship, which is a relationship where someone is so individual that they don't need anybody else, they think, and so they don't lean on anybody else, and and they don't lean into anybody else. And then there is this wonderful, amazing, very uncommon relationship that's called interdependent. And interdependent is a collection of individuals who can function just fine on their own who do really well in life and, and, and in work and, and just kind of moving around on their own, but man, when they come together, when they are a community, when they are a collective, when they are a group, they are so much stronger than the sum of all of their parts. That's the church. That's the body of Christ. 
Because of Christ, because of Christmas, because of this baby who came into our world, who moved into our neighborhood, we are interdependent. And you matter to this house. And you matter because God has made his home in your heart. Now interdependence is is actually a pretty radical idea because it's not the way our world teaches us to live. Our world believes in autonomy. Our world says, look, just take care of yourself. We're told to just kind of go that way, be successful so that you don't have to depend on anybody else. Make a name for yourself. Don't let anybody get too close to you. Don't let anybody in. That's what the world sells. The world celebrates that and prizes that. I mean, if you can get to the top without anybody's help, then then you're a winner. If you can get to the top and and you can win at the top, the, the top's a pretty lonely place to be, but at least you won. And almost every single person who has ever made their way to the top completely alone doesn't stay there very long they find out that the top is a miserable place to be. That's a lie that comes from our world. But see, because Jesus came, because he built and he taught and he even modeled with the 12 around him, he modeled how to have this radical community. Because of what Jesus taught us, because of what Jesus showed us, the church functions differently. Because of how Jesus lived, We make decisions together. We celebrate victories and successes together. And we mourn and we comfort one another in times of loss and in times of defeat together. It may seem like a very simple throw-off verse, but Paul writes this in Romans. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn that doesn't happen in a world of autonomy. In a world of autonomy, we may jump in on the rejoicing part, but we run the other way when people are in trouble. Not in the church, not in this radical community that has been built because God came into the neighborhood. In every aspect of life, be together and do it together. Support one another and love one another. And when God moves into the neighborhood, it wasn't just that he moved onto our planet, he moved into our hearts. And because of that, you become interconnected and you become interdependent. A community where people belong and find safety and find security, find love and find forgiveness and find grace, find acceptance. But Peter goes on. In 1 Peter chapter two, he says this. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. We already read that. To be a holy priesthood, he says, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He calls us a holy priesthood. That's an Old Testament term, so what does it mean? Well, the the priesthood were a group of people, selected people, who were often there to intervene between God's people and God, to kind of help 
the relationship work because whenever sin entered into the lives of the people or whenever the people kind of turned into Adam and Eve again and wanted to go their own way, it was the priesthood who through service and through sacrifices and through offerings, through keeping the temple clean, through all kinds of, of, of tasks that went on would reunite the relationship between the people and God. And it was kind of pigeonholed to just this group of people, the priesthood. But when Jesus came and Jesus died and Jesus rose, he not only forgave our sins, he not only ushered in this this well of unceasing grace, but he changed how the relationship with God functioned. And he changed the liaison part of that relationship and how ministry took place. See, Christmas was not just about the beginnings of a radical community, but it was the beginnings of a radical community that was then being released for ministry. It's it's no longer just a few select men who are in a relationship with God and have communication with God. It's not just a few people who get to experience and participate in ministry. That means that every single one of us Every single person who has let God into their heart has a part in the ministry. There is a releasing of ministry when God makes his home there. A couple of chapters over, in the same letter that Peter's writing, 1 Peter chapter four, Peter says this. He says, therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. How does God bring together such a a strange and unusual set of people? And I'm not just talking about the, the apostles that follow Jesus around. We are a very strange and unusual set of people. The church is a strange and unusual collection of people. He does it by freeing us up to do the things that we do best. See, instead of saying, look, if you're in the church, then the first year you're gonna have to do this, and the second year then you can do this, and then the third year you can do this, and we're gonna expect you to do that because we gotta fill all the slots. God says, no, 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 no. You are freed up to do whatever it is that you do best. So when you are great at making people feel at home and that's just a natural thing that comes to you, then you need to find an opportunity to do that for the purposes of God. And and if you are are someone who feels really comfortable and and skilled at, at caring for kids and helping kids feel at home and feel comfortable, then find a way to do that for God. And when you understand technology 
and you actually find joy in technology. There are some of us who have, after yesterday, no joy in technology. But there are some people who do. And if that's where you find joy, then find that joy in ministry. But the opposite of all of that is true too. See, we're, we're a radical community and when, when someone in the community filled with the Spirit of God, released to do ministry, chooses to not be involved chooses to just kind of walk away from whatever they were doing, whatever they, they, however they were serving, wherever they were ministering, and just assumes in that process that somebody else will step up and do it. Somebody else can take care of that. I'm not necessary. The beautiful reality of the radical community called the church is that sometimes they can't. Sometimes there isn't somebody else to do what you do best. You matter. And you are needed. Because Jesus has released you to serve and to do ministry in the way that you do it best. When my son Cam was uh, playing Little League Baseball, there were some things that he did really, really well and other things that were challenges for him. But what he could do really, really well was catch a baseball. Now, that may not sound like a big deal, so let me explain. It wasn't just that he could catch a baseball. is that he was not afraid to catch a baseball that was thrown extremely hard in his direction. And he was not afraid to catch a baseball that was thrown extremely hard, not in his direction. People could hit the ball farther, harder than him. People could throw a ball faster than him. But when you had really strong arms in the infield in Little League, and they were whipping balls at first base, you better have somebody there who's not afraid to stand in and catch it. And Cam would stand there and make the catch. That was sometimes really fast and sometimes way off target. Now, it didn't seem like that big of a deal. It didn't seem like a, a very glorious position until he went on vacation. And suddenly there was nobody else on the team who was willing to stand there and catch those balls. And here's the thing about Little League, and those of you who have Little Leaguers or have had them or have coached them, you know this. If you don't have a first baseman who is willing to catch a ball, in Little League, there are a lot of runs that are gonna get scored because of that. So whatever it is that you do best, whether it's prayer, or hospitality, or caring for kids, or caring for students, or caring for adults, whether it's singing, whether it's speaking, whether it's tech, this radical community right here needs your ministry. See, when God moves into the neighborhood and he makes his home in our hearts and in your heart and in my heart, we become this radical community 
that has been released for ministry, but here's why. This is why it's so important that we get connected, that we get interconnected, that we do what we do best. Because we do all of it to reveal God's love to the world around us. Look what Peter says one last time. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And there are other people who need to know. You belong to the family of faith. You are a radical community. And you now have gifts and talents and things that you do best that can serve others. But all of it, all of it happens so that the marvelous light of God's love can shine into the darkness of our world. When we worship God, our love for him is expressed and it is a different love and it is a different hope and it is a different reason for living that we find when we belong to this community. All because of Jesus, all because Jesus was born into our world, on our planet, in our neighborhood. And together, where we go from here after Christmas morning, together we create a home where anybody can come, where anybody can belong, where anybody can be loved and accepted no matter where they're from, no matter what they've done, no matter who they are. Because God has moved into the neighborhood. And when God moves into the neighborhood, when God makes his home in your heart, then you become a radical community that's been released to do ministry so that the goodness of God and his marvelous light can shine into the darkness of our world. And that's what we do from here. Together. We express home to the world around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we, uh, we are changed because of you. We are changed in our relationship with you. We are changed in our relationship with our families. We are changed in our relationship with our community. We are changed in our relationship with our country, with our world. 
but we are changed not by something that we learned from the media, not, not from something that we've memorized from some chart. We are changed because that intimate relationship that you made possible at the very beginning of the story that was what felt like home is possible once again because of Jesus. Because of a baby born in a manger, a teacher who taught us a new way to live, a savior willing to go to the cross and a victorious king that walked out of an empty tomb. God, we thank you that Jesus has changed everything. And would you help us to take that sense of home that he provides and share it into the world around us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you'd stand with me right now. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your leader, as your forgiver, as the one who has poured your life with grace, then today can be the day that you say yes to him and you're baptized in his name. Maybe today that's a decision you've made, but you've been looking for a community to be part of. And we'd love to have you with us here at First Christian. We have folks who will be here to talk with you and pray with you and answer questions for you about those decisions. And if you have those decisions, we invite you to come walk right down the aisles as we sing. But may the rest of us, this radical community sitting in front of me, may we lift up our voices in praise and worship to our God. Let's sing together. Silent still, this lay to.